So it's time for word domination. We're actually going back to a story from last week because we just had so little time. Now, last week we interviewed interviewed Professor Sean Davison about his book, The Price of Mercy, A Fight for the Right to Die with Dignity. And it is the story of... Um, Dr. Sean Davison, he's a euthanasia activist and the founder of Dignity South Africa. And it covers his legal journey after being arrested for murder owing to the involvement in the deaths of three people as assisted suicide. And last month he was released after three years of house arrest. We got a lot of comments from you and uh, various WhatsApps were sent through people wanting to know things. And we didn't have time to truly raise all the questions that you were. We've taken note of those questions. But certainly, if this is a conversation that you want to engage with, now is the time to start WhatsApping, to think about it. You can WhatsApp us super easy uh, with your comments, with your questions on euthanasia and the right to die. Or um, we'll talk more about that in depth. But you can WhatsApp us on 0614104107. You can also SMS us on 41391. Or on Twitter, you can go to Twitter at SAFM Radio, hashtag SAFMJSB, or at um, Mish Constant as well. So. We do have Professor Sean Davison on the line. Uh, I always felt uh, from the the conversation last week that we didn't actually get to the crux of much of the conversation based on the book, but also based on what we think about when we talk about euthanasia. So, um, Prof, thank you so much for making the time to return back on the show. Thank you for inviting me to a show I listen to. With pleasure every week. Ah, oh, well, I hope it kept you uh, comfort, comfort in your three uh, years of lockdown. It did, it did contribute. Thank you. Oh, fantastic, Sean. In the epilogue of your book, you suggest that the crux of the issues to be addressed when we talk about euthanasia is, in fact, that of death and suicide. And one of the things I thought about last week that we didn't really get to tease out for our listeners was the differentiation between suicide, euthanasia, and assisted suicide, and in fact, whether there is even a differentiation, taking us back to what you suggest is the crux of the issues. Can you maybe just uh, expand on that? It is a very important issue in the context of what happened to me. Keep in mind that people commit suicide every day for different reasons, and there's no law to stop a person doing that. But there is a law preventing you helping someone to end their life. And in the case of the three men who I helped to die, none of them were capable of ending their own life. They were trapped in a body that couldn't move or do anything to end their life. So in effect, the law discriminated against them. And a very important bottom line to me that I wish everyone could understand is that if those men could have ended their own lives on their own, they would have. They would not have asked me. And that's a really very important point to understand. Um, I should also point out that we're talking about suicides. A law change that we're looking at, allowing for an assisted death, actually saves lives. And this has been shown in countries where the law has changed. Where a person knows they have an option of an assisted death, they often carry on and live a natural life. 
knowing they have that security of that option. If they don't have that option, they often take the suicide route much earlier. And I can back that up with the statistics from Oregon, the first state in the United States to change the law. There it's quite a lengthy procedure to um, apply for an assisted death. 40% of those granted an assisted death don't take up the option. They die a natural death from their illness, implying that they only applied for an assisted death to have that option, that safety net. So when we talk about someone saying that someone is unable to commit suicide. And you're talking about it in the physical sense, I'm assuming, not the emotional sense. Yeah, ending their life, yeah. But but ending their life because of what would those yeah, what would those physical um what would the physical rationales be that you couldn't actually do? Okay. Yeah, okay. Um for example, Dr. Amit Berger, the first murder I was charged with, it wasn't murder, but um, he was a quadriplegic, a medical doctor, highly intelligent man. Um, he, if I hadn't helped him, he would have found a way eventually. And the best way a quadriplegic can hope to end their life is pushing their you know, automated wheelchair in front of a train over a cliff off the waterfront, a dreadful death. He could have found a way, but it would have been a dreadful death. This is the, okay, the physical approach to ending your life. So, you know, we, we, one of the things that I was thinking about is, is you talk about how this is about uh, death and suicide. So th- that's the crux of, of the things that need to yeah. be addressed. Suicide yeah. is a hugely loaded word, and it's loaded for a variety of reasons. One is that it carries the pain of those left behind. And how does one resolve that in terms of what you are suggesting with regards to um, Dignitas, uh, Dignity SA, and and the concept of euthanasia? Yeah. Um, That question comes down to an individual's perspective of how they value their life. Mm. What makes a life worth living is not a small question. And indeed, when a time comes when death is preferable, is a question that can only be decided, considered by the individual. And ultimately, their request should be respected. Um, and in terms of the law, how that request is considered is based on unbearable suffering. And now you might refer to this as a grey area. How do you define unbearable suffering? But ultimately, it must come from the individual. Only that individual knows how they are suffering. Not the loved ones around them, the family and friends. For example, Dr. Unsberger, everyone encouraging him to live. He didn't want to live as a quadriplegic for the next maybe 50 years, only able to move his head. Mm. It was his decision and his definition of how he defined his unbearable suffering. And that request should be repeated in terms of the law change, not just a one-off instant, I want to die. It must be repeated and assessed by a psychologist and the person be assessed to be in a rational state of mind, referred to as mental competence. Okay, so that raises a a challenging question, is the competence of the state of mind. How how is that decided? So, for example, I I may say, um, you know, my doctors may say to me, I have got dementia. Or, and, and I may still be in a case where I can where I recognize the conversation, etc. 
maybe in 10 years' time, I don't recognize that I have dementia and I don't recognize the conversation anymore. The challenge, of course, is that now the thought of having dementia and being in that position then, now is when I would want to say, actually, I want to commit you. I don't want to live after that point. How does one do that? That would be a medical advance directive, stating when you get to a certain point, I want to be given the, the lethal dose of medicine. I'd have a, a be called a medical power of attorney given to somebody else to help with that process. And if you look at Switzerland, at Dignitas, you can have an assisted death if you've been diagnosed with advanced um, early onset Alzheimer's before the illness has set in. And I'm thinking of Sir Terry Pratchett, the English author. He was approved in assisted death in Switzerland, but he hadn't lost his mind yet. But the catch was he couldn't have the death at Dignitas once he had lost his rationality. He had to have it before, after the diagnosis, and he chose not to have it because he felt he had a few more books in him, which he did. Uh, it is a complex issue, what you're raising. Um, I know if I had what you're describing, um, early dementia signs, I would immediately wish to have a death at a certain point when maybe I didn't recognize my family. To me, for me, my choice, I want my brain. It's so important to my life. Mm. Other people might have other pursuits which they can continue. But it's an individual choice. We have um, one of our listeners is saying, as a supporter of the right to assisted dying, Um, Why are the South African laws so reluctant to adopt this option for people who have lived their lives? Yeah, yeah. Um, People, most people taking this option at the end of the life, either terminally ill, a short um, prognosis, or we wouldn't have stuff in the law in many countries, but it's called old age rational suicide. A person is very old. Their body is falling to some great pain, and they might not have any medical condition. But what's left of life is going to be low quality, um, and they want to go with dignity. Um, I met a 99-year-old lady, Laura Lieber, and she was nothing wrong with her, but really wanted to die now before it got any worse. And if that law was in place, she might have qualified, and her family might have respected it, as they surely would, gathered round and ended it a little bit earlier than it was going to enter, uh, end. Really, all this law would do is shorten the distance between dying and death. You're going to die. It's allowing you the time to choose and to go with dignity. So, Sean, you, you, you're raising so many different things. And I think for I ma- yeah. many of our listeners to, to, take, to understand this and to engage in it, um, Kingsley has said, my limited understanding is that in South Africa, one can sign a living will. I think that's the correct legal term. I think it is Kingsley, you're right. Which yeah. allows a person to determine what must happen to them should they find themselves on life support system, um, on a life support system or in a vegetative state. Can your guest please comment on that? I assume the issue here is that we, we are talking about whether you, when you're not on a life support system or yeah, in a vegetative yeah, state. Yeah, yeah. If you're on a life support system, you can have it turned off in this country according to the existing law. That's quite a different law. Okay. 
But I would add that this is a very complex issue, the, the whole discussion we're having today, and to have it in half an hour is very difficult. And I feel like I'm rushing through key points that should be really elaborated on in no, detail. I think, no, I think you're doing it absolutely brilliantly, and I'm, I'm delighted that we've been able to give it more time. You mentioned that, you know, that we, we, we don't have the law here in South Africa for assisted suicide um, or euthanasia, whatever one chooses to call that. And there are, what is, what is against it? Is it, um, is it a religious issue? What is against the process? Um, the government has opposed any move towards a law change in this country at every opportunity. And there have been several opportunities that they've stopped it. In its tracks. Um, my feeling is that our country is 80% African ancestral religion followers, and it's deep-seated in their culture to have a good death and to become an ancestor. And an assisted death or helping someone to die does not lead to become, becoming an ancestor. I've only become a follower of this um, African, or interested in this following Desmond Tutu's comments about it. He came out supporting a law change as a follower of African ancestral religions and Christianity. And he wanted his death possibly shaped around African ancestral religions, but he said he would like an assisted death if he needed it. In other words, he's giving the message out there that it's okay to follow these religions and have an assisted death, to die with dignity. So I'm hoping the words of Tutu will resonate around the country and the discussion will continue, and eventually the people who make the laws um, will listen and, and listen to the need of the people. So just a note to uh, Mudisa Khotla from uh, Mahikeng saying the name of the book. The name of the book, uh, Mudisa Khotla, is The Price of Mercy, A Fight for the Right to Die with Dignity, and it's written by Sean Davison. Um, you, you, we've mentioned that there are countries that do, in fact, support it, um, and do support it. I know, for example, in the Netherlands, you talk about old age rational suicide. You are able to uh, uh, do that in in the Netherlands, where if you reach a certain stage, you can say, um, "This is it. My time is up." And if you are feel, you are rational, you are able to do it. Under what circumstances are the countries that do practice euthanasia allow it? Is it quite diverse and extensive? Uh, fairly narrow. Often, a country. Uh, starts off only with the terminally ill. Uh, the early law changes, only people who are terminally ill with a short prognosis qualified. And looking at Australia, they changed the law state by state and until the whole country was covered uh, a few months ago. The first state to change the law uh, was, I think, Victoria. Very, very limited law. Uh, that was about five, four or five years ago. And now the laws are changing and being improved as they realize how to apply them better. In the beginning, they were very restrictive as to who could apply. Um, whereas a country like Belgium is probably the most liberal, where yeah. mental suffering is taken into it. And, and so it should be. I mean, we can see physical suffering, such as cancers and physical disabilities. You can't see mental suffering. Yeah. And the Belgian um, law is very aware of this and has, has an excellent law, which I hope we will include in South Africa. In closing, you you know, you talk about having the option, the choice. And I think, I mean, at the moment you said option and choice, I was reminded of, you know, what is going on in the United States and the conversation around Wade v. Roe is that people were saying, without the option or the choice, 
you 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 shift and change the conversation completely because then you force it into a certain direction without allowing people to say, well, I could go either way and potentially make the right choice that is for me. So ultimately that is, I would imagine, what you're saying is it comes down to. Yeah, it's about choice. Nobody has to take it. Um, if nobody takes it, fine, but it must be there. It's about an individual of the same state of mind who is suffering unbearably with no hope of recovery saying, no, thank you. I can't live this life. I'd like to die now with dignity. And having their family and their friends and the government laws respecting that request. Sean Davison, I want to say thank you so much for joining us and uh, an extraordinary conversation. The book is called The Price of Mercy, A Fight for the Right to Die with Dignity. And uh, someone's saying we need to watch a movie called Still Alice about Alzheimer's. It looks at the tragic dilemma of being stuck in a failing, suffering body and uh, the challenges that it offers. And I would suggest you go and read the book. Find out a bit more about it. It is something that is worth taking the conversation to, believing in or not believing in it. It's up to you. But as he says, what does it mean to have choice?